0: All right, Dan, will you pray for us? Sure. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for gathering us together today and bringing everyone safely. And please bless us as we learn about how we came to have the Holy Scriptures. And bless Mike as he teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. amen. Dan is here because he's worried that I'm going to get this canonization. Off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he showed,
1: he showed up just in case. So. I may actually sit down at one point and just let him... No, I'm kidding. Okay. So last week, let's just review. There are two books. There are two books when it comes to the revelation of God. We're talking about the doctrine of revelation, and within the doctrine of revelation, there are two books from which we learn about God. Do you guys remember the two books? Yep. Nature. 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 Okay. And the written word. And the written word. Okay. Now we tend to emphasize one of these over the other don't we? yes okay now that is a problem in my opinion uh, the book of nature is just as important as the book of scripture but, uh, in, in, so in one sense they're equal but in another sense they're not equal okay and why are they not equal? Well, here, one
0: is the revelation. Well, they're both revelation. They're I both revelation. You get a lot
1: more details in the scripture. Yes, you you will come through nature to know that there is a God, mm-hmm. but you will never come to find out what it's His, his name, name is or what He has done. Yeah. Even the concept of res, uh, of death and resurrection exists in nature, but the idea that there is a death and resurrection on my behalf <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> is not in nature. Okay, so that's what we talked a lot about last week. Um, and what is if you you want to talk about this concept of two books if you turn to your Bibles in Psalm 19 this is us equipping the saints Psalm 19 is all you ever need (laughs) for this doctrine okay so Psalm 19 if you look at it Verses 1 through 6 are about the book of nature, okay? All through that section, it says declare, proclaim, uh, reveal, uh, voice goes out, words to the ends of the earth. And it's talking about the heavens, it's talking about the sun, it's talking about the natural world. Okay, so then verses 7 through 11 are about uh, the book of scripture, the law of God, the precepts of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, and they are like fine gold sweeter than honey from there we jumped over to uh, the book of Isaiah I believe it was and talked about the fact that before the prophet could go out and proclaim the word of God he himself had to eat the honey scroll Mm -hmm. you guys remember that? yes Yes, Ezekiel, actually Ezekiel not Isaiah chapter 2 he eats the honey scroll right? he eats the word of God before he can go out and proclaim the word of God so if you want to be a person who is going to tell others about the Word of God, you yourself have to nourish yourself on the Word of God. Okay. So that is where we're at for review. Now what we're going to talk about is the Scriptures itself. Uh, we're not going to go any further with this, uh, the Book of Nature, because that's not what this class is about. Also when we are talking theology, you know, all of this falls under the heading of Revelation. Revelation what is the doctrine upstream of Revelation? What's the doctrine we would normally talk about in systematics before we got down to, the, to that doctrine of Revelation? Theology, Theology proper. Theology proper, which is the study of the triune God. Now, the Westminster Divines started with scripture, because within the reform camp there's two ways of thinking about it. You don't know anything about God unless you first understand his word. I get that, but I'm more of the Dutch reform camp. The continental camp where you, if you don't start with God, it doesn't. You got to start with God. <laughs> That's where all things flow. So we're talking about God, we're talking about his revelation, we're talking about the two kinds, and now we're honing in on the doctrine of scripture. So scripture is Trinitarian by nature, and by that I mean that it, within it there is unity and diversity. So what do you guys think I mean when I say the unity and diversity of scripture? When you have one book, if you want to call it that, okay, one book. You have multiple authors. Multiple authors. You have multiple genres. Yes, there you go. Lots of diversity. How are is it? They all
0: yeah. are unified in that they all point to Christ.
1: There you go. Okay, they're all about the same thing. Um, also, the 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 source, God, is the same. So the Lord God speaks. He moves through his prophets and apostles, and they record. The words that he wants to have recorded, which vary in both genre and author and culture and time, but yet they're all about the same unified message. So that's why uh, one, one way, this is I'm loading you up with ways to explain the Bible. So it's very Trinitarian. It is uni- there's unity and diversity within it. Now, the, the words of Scripture were written over a period of 1500 years. That does not mean that the amount of time that passes within the Scriptures is 1,500 years. That just means they were written within 1,500 years. Because the works of Moses, uh, he, he records you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And some of those events go back much further than 1,500 years. Um, and one of the things about the Bible, we're going to get into this with Genesis, is people don't really realize how much time passes in Genesis. Uh, because at the end, Joseph is actually living closer to the time of Charlemagne than he is to Adam. And hold on, just think about that for a second. Because that blows my mind every time I say it. <laughs> He's actually living closer to the time of Charlemagne than to Adam. Okay, so now um, what we're going to talk about is inspiration. How did these individuals come to have these words? So if you turn to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. We have that, this beautiful passage that explains to us. The history of Revelation. If somebody wants to read it when they get there. That would be just fine. With me?
0: 1-1? One, one.
1: Uh, we'll do 1 and 2.
0: Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world.
1: Okay. So he used to speak in lots of different ways to lots of different people. But now in the age in which we are, we are living, he speaks only through his son. Okay? So if you want the words of scripture, you must come to the son. Now, one of the, one of the things, the book of Hebrews is all about our, our Jewish brothers <laughs> and, and what is different, the continuity, discontinuity between the covenants. So the point there is that in, you, know, you may have a copy of Isaiah, but if you don't have Christ, you don't understand it. Uh, that in the book of Acts there's a man sitting there he's reading it he doesn't comprehend it until he comes to comprehend Christ so people may have copies of the Old Testament but even if you do you're not going to comprehend them unless the Son reveals them to you okay that's partially what Paul is saying here Revelation used to happen in all kinds of different ways prophets, priests um, you know on, onwards and onwards onwards but now it's Christ or it's nothing okay so inspiration so how did this come to be? I I always, when I first became a Christian, I used to think that the apostles sat down to their computers, plugged into the Matrix, Mm -hmm. and merely downloaded all the data that. Um, But that's not actually how inspiration worked. Okay, so if you turn with me to Second Timothy, chapter three, verses sixteen to seventeen, we're going to look at this beautiful mystery. What was it? Timothy three what? Uh, 3, 16 to 17. <clears throat> okay. Who would like to read that for us?
0: All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having
1: been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, there you go. So all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Okay. So what does that mean, breathed out by God? Inspired. That is what inspiration means. But what? Well, I mean, but let's let's go a little deeper. How does that actually work? Kind
0: of like he breathed life into Adam from dust.
1: Yes, yes. So the breath of God is the spirit of God. Okay, so in the beginning, hovering over nothingness is the spirit of God. Um, and he brings life. Later, he, man is mud and God breathes life into him. The spirit is life. Okay, so... God breathes out on them, much like Jesus does at the end of the Gospels. He has his disciples there and he breathes out on them, demonstrating that the Spirit is going to come. So the Spirit is sent out by God into these men, into their minds, into their hearts, into their lives, in order to write Scripture. Okay? So that, that's that's the source, is the Spirit of God. It's you know, Paul didn't sit down and write anything. Uh, Well, there are things he wrote that we don't have. Why? Because those things were not breathed out by God. Right? It's just because Paul writes something doesn't make it scripture. Just because John writes something doesn't make it scripture. Okay? So, I'm just going to read this for us because now it's getting loud. That glorious band. So, Acts chapter 4, verse 25 and 26 explains this very well. It says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Okay, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, and he says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so David said it through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's how it works. Um, Now, there are other words that that are important when we're talking about this uh, plenary verbal The terms plenary and verbal are often used to qualify inspiration. Plenary means full, refers to the fact that all Scripture is equally inspired. Uh, You don't turn to the genealogies, and because it's boring, it's (laughs) less—it's less somehow than the narrative. Uh, Verbal means that the words themselves, not just the ideas, are inspired. Okay, and this is very important when it comes to when we're talking about final authority. Right. If the Greek Bible in, in, for the New Testament is the final authority, the reason that for that is because the words themselves actually matter. A translation is there's always a problem with translation. I'm not. I have no problem with translation. Don't get me wrong. But it's always a problem because it's not the actual words. You're you're at best uh, translating concepts. Has anyone ever read like a version of the Greek Bible where they just <laughs> yeah. translate the words? Without considering Street. how if it makes any sense. It's horrible. So it like you know Yeah, it sounds like Yoda. Know and you get lost very quickly. Um, so if you, and then if you think about it, this is where the doctrine of scripture blows my mind. Okay, so Jesus is in the temple. He takes a scroll. He reads the Hebrew. He translates to Aramaic. Later it's translated to Greek. And that Greek is translated to English. And you're sitting there reading a translation of a translation of a translation. <laughs> And you're like, how far down does this go? Right? Um, so we have to always be careful that when we're dealing with the Word of God, if we're dealing with translations, we're, there's always a bit of a hitch. Okay? Now, I have 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve 12 written down. I'm not sure why. Let's turn there. <laughs> 1 Corinthians thirteen 12. Don't worry, Dan. We're getting to the canon. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 12. I have it here, and I have no idea. Why? You guys can enlighten me.
0: For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. I know the part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known.
1: See, I know how my mind works. Notice how I mentioned the fact that there's always a hitch when we're talking about translation. It's because we're looking at something, even now, dimly. Okay, so, so in the book of Revelation, for example, how many of us are often confused by that book? As best as I could explain it, I'm still a little confused. You're still a little confused. When I explain the Trinity, when I explain anything from Scripture, we're still only looking at whatever we're looking at dimly, especially if it's translation. Um, And so I think, you know, remembering that, you know, there's so many problems with Protestants in the Bible. Uh, One of them is the fact that, you know, I, I carry this. This is my obedient servant. He goes in the bag. I put him in. He does the thing I want him to. He absorbs ink the way I want him to. He, he, I stand over him, and I judge what I read, and, and I can translate it for myself. And it's, it's just, I am its boss, essentially. And I think that part of what we lose with the fact that Bibles are so um, available to all of us is the fact that it, we are looking at something dimly, even though we're looking at it with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So there's always mystery there. There's always more to it. There's always, um, it there, there's always this temptation to stand over it opposed to letting it stand over us. Okay. All right. So now we're going to talk about the canon. Yay! Yay. <laughs> now, what does the word canon mean? Rule. Rule. Okay? So if you think of, like, a ruler, and you have the lines on there, this is rough. Forgive me, Laura. Okay? Now, what do you do with a ruler? I measure. You measure other things, right? I, ha- I have a picture that I went to buy a frame for, so I get out the, the ruler, and I measure how big it is, so I know how big a frame to get. So, that's why they call it the canon, because it is the rule by which we me- measure other things. Uh, my kids read books, and I say, "Okay, let's measure this now. Let's get out our Bible, and let's measure this story that you're reading, and let's let's compare it, let's contrast it, let's this idea that we've heard current events. <clears throat> so, it's not something. It, it, it is something that you're using all the time to measure. Okay, you're measuring words, actions. Okay, it's God's intention to speak personal words to us. Words that have more authority than any other; these words govern our use of all other words, of all other sources of knowledge. Okay, so I cannot open the Bible and figure out how to fix my Honda, but I can. I, right? But 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 I use the Bible to figure out what I do with my Honda, and that is not drive over people, right? <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I know that it has to be licensed, it has to be insured, because I believe in Romans 13, and so I go and I, and, and I, even me, I know people are surprised to hear me say that sometimes, <laughs> but lawful authorities have their place. And so I, I know how to do things because of the Bible. Not necessarily all human knowledge, but it's, it's how I measure all human knowledge. Okay, the other thing about um, the Bible those of us who stare into it as much as all of us do, forget something. And if we turn to Deuteronomy 31, the Bible is itself a covenantal document. Okay, It works just like the Constitution does in our own country or it, the way the Constitution used to work. Okay, So we go to Deuteronomy 31, verses 26 to 28. I'll read it for us. So take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, and I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to witness against them. So they, they took a copy of the law and they put it in the ark, and, and, and the reason that it was there is it was a witness against Israel. The the Bible was watching them and the Bible on the last day will be there as a witness against you because as as try as you might Jesus will get out a copy of Colossians and be like well it says it right here in black and white and you had every opportunity to learn it to learn what it meant to learn how to apply it and you didn't do it and I think that this is another way where we have to remember this otherwise we are its judge it's not our judge okay uh, the scriptures will be there personified on the last day judging you And and what are they going to think about what you're doing or not doing? Okay. And they always carried uh, a copy of it in the ark. It was always a witness against them. And then later the prophets talked this way as well. um, Because they, they come with a writ of divorce to Israel. That's what the latter prophets is all about. And the witness against them is the word of God that they have in their midst. Okay. All right. So the Old Testament canon. Does anyone know how we came to receive the Old Testament books as the word of God? Why, 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 when we talk about uh, canonicity, do we not usually talk about the Old Testament? If you actually go and find out, there's not much about it. It's almost always about the New Testament. Laura? I'm,
0: I'm guessing, but you know, when they put the Septuagint together, was that at the point where they decided it, or was it prior to that? Because that, that was before Christ, Yeah. when they put together the books of the Old Testament mm-hmm. and translated them into...
1: Mm-hmm. I would say around about that time, yes. Because they used to have lots of scrolls. Um, in, in there, you know, the Septuagint is, is surrounded in mystery actually, there's a lot of mystery to it but we know that earlier the latter prophets at the end of the Old Testament were compiling things okay? the book of Psalms is compiled, the Deuteronomistic history is compiled, so I think that they were used to gathering a lot of scrolls and condensing them down and I think the, the um, Greek Old Testament is an example of, of a, the end of a process that, that they went through um, because there are a lot of books. <laughs> have, you, have you ever read Chronicles? And they're like, oh, where are all the books that you, that were the source yeah, material for this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not in the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I, you know, Augustine referred to the Jews as the bookshelf people. They were a walking bookshelf for Christians, and we owe, oh, like, he he spoke very highly of of Jews, simply because they had guarded God's word so well. Um better than we realized because they found in, in, the, in the Dead Sea amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls they found a copy of Isaiah that was more ancient than anything anyone had ever heard of uh, and then they compared it to a copy of Isaiah that we have from like 1100 AD and, the, and it was the same okay and, and <laughs> now there's something about what God was doing through that process but the Jews took very careful um, they were very careful with it now specifically okay By the time Jesus comes, he states very clearly what is and what isn't in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus says that he refers to the Old Testament as uh, teaching eternal life. In 2 Timothy, Paul mentions the fact that Timothy learned everything that he learned uh, because he had read the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 26, it's, it's the same thing. The whole counsel of God for salvation is what Moses and the prophets said, okay? Jesus opens the scriptures on the road to Emmaus and, he's, and he, he classifies them several times. And he talks about um, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And the Psalms is the first book of wisdom literature, so it stands for the whole section that is wisdom literature. Because if you, if you get a Greek Bible or the Septuagint, the books are organized differently than the uh, English Bible. Uh, Protestant Bibles. But but the, the Apostles and Jesus himself refer to the sections of the Old Testament um, clearly stating that they are Scripture. Okay. Now, now the New Testament canon. So how did uh, these books come to be the books that we uh, use in our English New Testament? If you open your Bible to the front page okay, here's a contents page. And I think the fact that we have a contents page throws us a little bit. Um, because, it, right? Um, who, who says? Who says? Why, why is it that they... So does the church, because we wrote the contents page, have the authority to say what's in and what's out? What do you guys know about this already? How did we come to have these books, 27 books? It was
0: decided at a conference. 300 A.D.
1: It was decided at a conference in 300 A.D. About
0: well, about a bunch that. of mm-hmm. church leaders got together and then decided what should be in
1: the camp. Okay, that's, that's your understanding. You're
0: going to give more
1: details here. Uh, you could just tell by reading which one. Okay, which ones. all right. Now that is a very important concept we're going Why to come can you back to. Just here. tell. That's. I don't really know much about that. Ones by that someone who good knew good. about it. Said, yeah, and can I, we, I actually. Not so it's not in Scripture, and you really can't. Right, because if
0: yeah, but we, I have
1: not read the ones that were not included. Yeah, and so I mean, lots of lots of Christians in, in, will include and exclude books differently than we would. Mm-hmm. Like when I read Clement, for example, he he's he wrote a letter to the Church at Corinth. Thank you, and I read it, and I'm like, oh this isn't Scripture. Um, but other people read it and think, oh, this should be included. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there. Thomas. Yeah, so early on, it was actually in response to a heretic that some of the first lists were were officially discussed because a man named Marcion uh, had a, compiled a list that didn't include all the books of the New Testament. So as oftentimes happens, theology in the church is created as a response to heresies. <laughs> uh, this has happened over and over and over again. So a guy get, writes a list... Marcion writes a list and it's not complete and so then Christian, you know, the Christian fathers, the patristic fathers start talking about it and they very quickly come to um, conclusions about what should and shouldn't be in there and from the, those earliest times the letters are almost always the same Okay, the lists are almost always the same now Athanasius was the first one uh, in an Easter sermon that he wrote, Easter letter that he sent where he has an actual list and it's, it's exactly the same as the mm-hmm. list that we have now. Now, do you guys know which books of the New Testament are almost always the ones that are considered iffy? James, James, James is always James one of them. Jesus. With this works righteousness. I'm kidding. <laughs> Revelation. Yes, yes. No, okay. Jude, yeah. Jude. Second Peter. Second Peter. Right. Um, these these are the books that are always on the list of um, debate, I suppose. But uh, do you know what what is the first? council in which the church sat down and said okay these are the books of the bible. Trent. Okay, you the council of Trent? Yes. In yes. 16th century. The 16th it was,
0: century. It's actually not discussed at Nicaea. Wow. which is the
1: Yeah, the so that that's also what's See, this is what I like about this doctrine is because I'm with you Laura. It seems like at some point somebody been like, hey, uh, how about we put on the agenda the fact that we talk about which books are in the Bible. But for some reason, they never do this. Mm-hmm. There, there are discussions of lists. Mm-hmm. But um, eventually, uh, what, what happens is, is what emerges, in a sense, which we'll talk about how that happened. Yes, Laura. Question.
0: So what the, the list that came up with the Council of Trent... Was it significantly different than what they had been accepting all along? Did they make big changes?
1: Well, at that point, so because that it was, yeah, it was the Roman Catholics who gathered at Trent, not the Protestants were not involved. Mm. And so the lists uh, of what's in, in the Bible is different than a Protestant. Mm. And I think at that point, it does reflect their culture uh, and their theology at that point. I think if you would have gone back, if they would have had it, say, in the 12th century or the 8th century, I think the list would have been more faithful. But the fact that they, so far later in their theology, in the development of their theology at Trent, they almost have to include all those other books. Otherwise, there's a whole lot of dogma that makes no sense.
0: I mean, Pope Gregory the Great Here we go. said that the Old Testament Apocrypha was not scripture. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yet, the Council of Trent later says the Old Testament Apocrypha is scripture. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you have. One of the doctors of the Roman Catholic Church, one of their greatest popes,
1: disagreeing with the Council of Trent. Huh? Right, and so n- clearly, all the popes are not equally infallible. <laughs> 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 Wait a minute! <laughs> Luther was right. He was <laughs> Yeah. So then, yeah. this is this is the part here where I, I actually like this about the Bible, but this does present problems when it comes to Christian apologetics, um, because like this, right? Uh, one one pope says that this this group of books shouldn't be included. Uh, th- a thousand years later, this other pope says, yeah, they should, and and you have all this kind of problems. So you have to um, we have to have some criteria. There has to be some criteria, okay? But but if we go into the the Bible itself in the New Testament, as as you were mentioning earlier, why does the Bible itself tell us? How, how does the Bible explain? are recognizing the books of the Bible or not recognizing the books of the Bible. Because the Bible itself explains this. It's full of quotations from the Old Testament. Okay, it's full of quotations. Jesus is one of them that uses the quotations himself. Okay. So when it comes to the Old Testament, we have the quotations, we have references to the books of the Old Testament, right? Yeah, And then in the New Testament Jesus says some things and Paul says some things That, that clue us in as to how the Bible re, uh, Tells us The Bible tells us Which books to include And how does that happen Think about Jesus What does Jesus say He's a shepherd right mm-hmm. So what, is, what does he say about that His being a shepherd We being sheep That's yes. Through the Old Testament well, no. In the New Testament, let me just go right to the so sheep hear his voice. And the sheep him. hear his voice and follow him. Okay. So when I pick up the, the a letter of my Clement to the church in Corinth, I do not hear the voice of Jesus. I pick up 1 Corinthians and I do. Okay. Now, over time, the church part of, part of her responsibility is following the voice of her Lord and differentiating between the voice of the Lord and what's not the voice of the Lord. Okay, Luke sat down and he says, I want to make an orderly account of the gospel. So he's reading all kinds of things. He's researching all kinds of things. And, and he recognizes the voice of the Lord Jesus from what he's read. And then, and then his orderly account is the voice of Jesus. Okay? So all those other things that he read are interesting. All those other things were helpful to him. But they were not included because they were not the voice Of Jesus, and so when you get down to the 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 book of James, um, why is it that some people don't hear the voice of Jesus throughout time? What what might be a problem with the book of James? Martin Luther called it um, straw fit only for a stable. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Not a happy horse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, you understand about the life of Luther, and you kind of understand why he would. I mean, he never does anything by halves, right? This is Luther we're talking about. Um, but why? Why might the book he of James. On feet, you know, only in any way you yes. Know. Show me your faith, I'll show you my works. And Luther's like, get that out of here, okay? <laughs> but luckily, what we have is over a long period of time, like he was mentioning various men. Um, who were leaders in the church, stated in letters, um, in, um, in, in compiling books themselves, they, they, they identified the voice. Okay? And over time, the church recognizes the voice of the Lord versus the, those voices which are not. And so the book eventually comes together through this sort of natural process of our simply recognizing which ones are in or out. Um, John the Baptist saw Jesus... And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, now, was his saying that, did that that make Jesus the Lamb of God? No, he he was, all by himself, and simply John is recognizing the fact that he's the Lamb of God. Okay, so that's how, essentially, you read the book of Acts, and you say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, you read the book of Revelation, and you say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Okay? Now, all of that being said, over time, scholars have... Actually, come up with a list of things to help us. Okay, one of them is apostolic origin. Did the apostles write these things? Okay, if it's if it's not written by an apostle or someone speaking on an apostle's behalf, then it is not scripture. Okay, so Clement wasn't speaking on behalf of any of the apostles. Uh, even Polycarp, uh, that mighty man of the faith, um, he didn't. He he was an assistant to John the apostle, um, but he didn't write. None of his works are considered. Uh, part of the canon because he wasn't writing on behalf of an apostle, okay? It has to have an apostolic source. Now, why do you guys think that is? Why does it have to have an apostolic source?
0: It's like that game where you whisper something and someone's ears <laughs> Every time you transmit, information could get lost. Yes, yes. <laughs>
1: Right, we, because Jesus, um, his relationship to the disciples and the apostles is such where he, that was part of what he was, he was sending them out as ambassadors uh, to declare uh, the, the rules, the laws, the thoughts of the Lord himself. Okay, so the second one is that it must be theologically consistent with the rest of, with the rest of Scripture. Okay, the rule of faith matters here. Have you guys ever read, like, uh, Bella and the Dragon from the Apocrypha? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that that's uh consistent well, with I don't know, yeah. And <laughs> 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 yeah, and I mean the bo- I I I read so the Bell and the, the, uh, the Dragon okay. or done by Daniel. Yeah. It it it's so weird. It's like a comic book version that's of what weird. Daniel was doing. Anyway, um <laughs> not to be too crass, but yeah, and I mean, isn't there one of the books where they talk about Lilith and Adam's first uh, wife oh, and yeah. yeah, that um and so you start reading that, and you're like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> Which our beloved C.S. Lewis, who was an Anglican, uh, we were just recently talking about that, put those the words about that into the mouth of uh, the Beaver, the Beaver, beaver. In Narnia. Yeah. So okay. in Nar- um, C.S. Lewis didn't love Beaver enough to not make him a heretic, <laughs> <laughs> but it's C.S. Lewis. He he was he was kind of weird sometimes. Okay, we all agree with that. So theologically consistent with the rest of Scripture, the rule of faith. So the Book of Esther. Okay? And the book of Romans are theologically consistent when you set them side by side. Um, this, if I go into the book of Sol- uh, the Song of Solomon, uh, it, it proves and, and it, can, it, it can be proven to, sh- to be theologically consistent, say, with the book of Genesis or the book of James, for that matter. Okay? So that, there's theological consistency throughout all of the, the books. And if they, if they don't fit, then they don't fit so you leave them out ok, recognition by the spirit filled community this is the third rule and we've already talked at length about this um, the people of God have always recognized the voice of the shepherd and, and over time um, we know w- what his voice is and what, it, what, is it, what, what isn't now what do we make then of say Cat- Roman Catholics because I do believe Roman Catholics are Christians to an extent, uh, they're not an apostate uh, communion Whole, whole, as a group um, I actually don't believe that but they I, they have all kinds of problems <laughs> um, and even even I've changed, I would, I would participate in mass uh, just because they don't know what it is, doesn't mean I don't know what it is um, <laughs> now in my youth I wouldn't have done that I wouldn't have done it for anything but now I'm like, ah, you know what, the guy said what he's supposed to say, he's handing it out like he's supposed to hand it out and uh, they're all confused but it's fine I know what I'm doing so what do we make of the fact that they have books in their Bible that we do not? Okay, I, I I would say that that doesn't make them not Christians, right? There's all kinds of other things that make most of them not Christians, but within that communion there are people who are Christians. It's the same thing with the Orthodox. Problems from top to bottom. Now, what do you guys think about that? Because you know some of you come from very different traditions than I do uh, in the modern church. Is it weird that I would say Catholics and. and Greek Orthodox people are, can be Christians. And there's Christians amongst them. It's not strange, is it?
0: Mm-mm.
1: Laura looks nervous. Oh. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> not the Amish, though, Mike. No. <laughs> I mean, they're probably being led astray by wolves. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: I mean, well, we, and Protestants have lots
1: of they're they're Oh, there you go. <laughs> 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 Laura, you're not supposed to see that. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. But as far as the body that's making the declarations, say, at Trent, does that body also anathematize the gospel in the same breath? You may say, well, there are Roman Catholics who are Christians, sure and fair, Mm -hmm. and probably more so at Trent than today, because 500 years on, they've had time to get out (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) are the men who in one breath in the same declaration anathematize the gospel really having the Holy Spirit operative in their recognition of books.
1: Yeah. Presents an interesting problem. What do you think? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we also had (laughs) the
0: Pope declare an infallible Latin Vulgate. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Which was obviously not a move. Mm -hmm. In, In influenced by the Holy Spirit of God Um, so you you don't exactly see a lot of uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit in the infallible declarations and
1: decrees papal bulls of the Reformation no (laughs) no you (laughs) don't no but I think that what what it can sometimes present especially to Protestants is this concept that our, our church only goes back to 1600 um, because I, I was recently talking to a young man who teaches history, and um, he, I, I was trying to help him. In my opinion, because he was saying things about some church fathers in that middle age period that I found to be wildly inaccurate. Um, because they're Catholics, I was like, "Well, everyone—I mean, everybody was <laughs> everybody was Catholic. I mean, there was really only like the Orthodox, the, Ca- the Roman Catholics, and the Celtic Catholics. Okay, so even Celtic Catholics." And Roman Catholics are different. I'm I'm reading a history of English-speaking theology now, written by Usher in the 17th century. And I I mean, like, the the northern Catholics were very different from the southern Catholics. Um, Very different. But they were all still Catholics, okay, because everybody was. So that, I mean, Anselm is a guy whose theology is sitting on my bookshelf, and I'm not going to get rid of it because he's a Catholic. It just seems strange to me to think about it that way. So our pe- you know, we go all the way back to the start. You got from the apostles to that first-generation polycarp and those guys to the patristic fathers to the medievals. Um, we'll even take Aquinas with his goofiness, um, as long as you're able to understand what his goofiness is, right? Just like we'll take C.S. Lewis and his weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find um, in this regard, pro- certain kinds of Protestants are more welcoming than others. Uh, like, I, I was just told this week that you CREC guys really will just work with anyone. And I'm like, well, the church is pretty big, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of us, and we don't all uh, attend the same church and participate in the same liturgy, but the church is much bigger than we realize, which is funny because, right, then I would argue something from the, you know, Belgic Confession about how the Roman Catholics don't know what they're doing when they take communion, and I could say that out of one side of my mouth and then go and do work at a food bank with a bunch of Catholics uh, later the, in the week because the church is much bigger than our doctrinal... Um, mm-hmm.
0: Differences. Yeah,
1: differences, okay? So when it comes to Scripture, just because there are communions who have different canons um, doesn't make the... right. They have at least the real canon within that group. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is something that I, I think as, as the church progresses and we mature, it's one of the things that has to get worked out. Just like the creeds are different. I mean, how do you have ecumenical creeds where they say them differently than we do? That, that is on, on the surface of it a problem. Okay, so did I miss anything? You love this doctrine canonization. <laughs> any, th- any thoughts you'd like to add before I get to the self-authenticating? Go ahead. I love the self-authenticating. problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of dates and times and things that we could talk about when it comes to canonization, but I, I just... Yeah, there's more to be read about that. I couldn't fit it all into a class.
0: I mean, I guess if you're going to say one thing go. on history... Uh, because most of the time when, you know, someone asks about when when did we have canon, yeah. right? Yeah, when did it happen? Well, ultimately, right, all of the first century... Orthodox books that have a shot of being apostolic are in the canon, and none of the others were ever considered. Thomas was never considered, it doesn't appear on anybody's list ever, it never appears Mm. in a document collection, because you Mm. don't have manuscripts that have multiple books of the New Testament on them. Thomas never appears on the same manuscript as John. Yeah. Right. Never. No, none of the apocryphal books, including Orthodox apocryphal books like the Shepherd of Hermas or the Epistle of Barnabas or 1st Clement or the Didache. Which are Orthodox, they're just not Scripture. They're Orthodox, early, not Scripture. None of them ever appear on the same manuscript as any book of Scripture. And ultimately, again, those books do not make claims of being apostolic. Yeah. Um, and so all the books that claim to be apostolic that are in the first century yeah. are in. None of the others have ever been considered.
1: Yeah, and that's good because even in amongst the Celtic Christians, I like, you know, the, the guys up north, they have collections of scripture, but it's always a collection of what's actually scripture. So it's like the Gospel of Mark and some Psalms and a bit of Isaiah. It's like there's never something randomly thrown in there.
0: Turns out nature
1: does inform scripture. Oh, it does. It does. Yes. <laughs>
0: Say people everywhere recognize the basics, whether or
1: not. Yes, whether they agree that they are the voice of God or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It
0: seems like our our day and age gets tripped up over the official term, maybe of canon. Mm-hmm. Not really understanding, because we haven't had the official name or title all throughout the history of the Bible. But yeah, it's always been there. Just now we get tripped up over the title of official,
1: right? Canon. Well,
0: because people don't like that boundary. Yeah, Yeah. because they
1: want to inform the Bible, not have
0: the Bible Bible inform them.
1: them. Just rid of Paul. would be happy. That's true. Just saying. Yeah, and I mean, when you know, in Second Peter, (coughs) in Second Peter, Peter himself refers to certain letters of Paul as being uh, scripture, which I always find hilarious. Um, just because of how it works, because Peter was there with Jesus, right, and then and then Paul comes along later and, and displaces him in a certain sense, puts him in, and then rebukes him in front of a bunch of people, and and here Peter is showing his, his the hard earned humility in recognizing the fact that this guy actually is writing the you know scripture. We're going to now take what Paul says and we're going to lay it next to what Moses says. Um, And I think that that is far more profound than most people realize. That that one man is recognizing that in another man. Um, Yeah. I think we ran out of time for self-authenticating. So we'll start with that next week. Okay? All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I have handouts. So next week, we're going to be talking about um, interpretation. And so here, this is your reading for next week, is the story of the Bible in two pages. (laughs) Okay, because we're gonna be talking about squares. Sweeping oh, <laughs> <laughs> themes. Themes of the Bible.